0: I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't part of my vocabulary. And I always thought I would work for someone else. But in that moment, I thought, I am not free. I never have been. I want that kind of freedom. It's been now 14 years of running my own business. So I feel like I'm on a mission to shine a light and say, hey, there's this opportunity out there for you that could change everything about who you are, what you stand for, how you show up in the world and the legacy that you leave. I just feel as though it's my job to make sure she knows this is an option, whether she takes it or not. You know, not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. That's a conversation for another day, but at least I want you to know it's there and you explore it and you decide for yourself because we need more women stepping up, making more money, calling the shots, having a bigger voice. And that's why I do what I do.
1: Ever wonder if entrepreneurship is right for you? Whether you're starting a personal business, like coaching or consulting or building around an idea or a platform, technology or product, or maybe teaching others what you know, either in person or through books or courses or talks, heading out on your own, blazing your own path can be scary. And this is especially true if you're walking away from a job with a nice salary and benefits and some sense of security, even more so if your resources are limited. But does it have to be that scary or risky? What can we do to first understand if this path is even right for us? And second, set ourselves up for success, not just in building a flourishing business, but also in crafting a life that you love around that business. These are the questions we're exploring today with my longtime friend, Amy Porterfield. So after years of working to climb the corporate ladder, Amy took a leap of faith and left it all behind to start her own online education company. The first few years, they were really hard. They made her question her decision more than once, but something in her, it knew it was still the right path. And she also realized something about entrepreneurship. As she says, if you want to experience true personal growth, become an entrepreneur because you will be working on yourself every single day. You'll be seeing sides of yourself you do not like, You will be seeing all your insecurities and your challenges and your weaknesses, and you will also be seeing so much growth and opportunity in yourself. And I cannot agree with that statement more. That has been my experience through a number of my own companies. So now 14 years in, having helped tens of thousands of people, Amy has built an extraordinarily successful company with a full-time team and many offerings and products and a top-ranked podcast, Online Marketing Made Easy. She's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, CNBC, Business Insider, Entrepreneur, and so many others. Her company has been twice awarded the Inc. 5000 Award as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in the US today. She has become a true champion and also a leading voice in how to make the transition to entrepreneurship. And in her new book, Two Weeks Notice, Amy dives into her own journey, then walks us through a detailed process to envision, validate, and build your own low-risk, on the psyche business. And we dive deeply into it all in today's conversation. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project.
2: Visit bankofamerica.com slash business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing
3: District Assessment Funds.
1: Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Amy Porterfield, as we hang out here having this conversation, you and I have known each other for years. I was trying to like track it back to when we first started connecting. And I think my recollection is, I don't even know if we were in the online space. We were just really doing different things and exploring things. And do I remember correctly that you were either still working a day job or you were like in the process of exiting or just having exited?
0: I feel like I just exited for sure. And do you remember did we meet because I went to your conference or did I meet you before and then go to your conference
1: It's all a blur. I just remember like there was there was an early conversation and we've been friends ever since and it's yes. been amazing to just watch what you've done, how you've transformed personally over many years and what you've built and how you've been just of an incredible service um so much of your focus over the last decade plus now has been focused around the notion of, and the value of entrepreneurship. And you've talked about it. You have taught it. You have literally trained thousands of people to step out and and move into this domain. In the context of living a better life, what do you feel is the connection between stepping into the space of entrepreneurship and actually living a better life?
3: Mm.
0: Well, early on when I became an entrepreneur, someone had told me that if you want to experience true personal growth, become an entrepreneur because you will be working on yourself every single day. You will be seeing sides of yourself you do not like. You will be seeing all your insecurities and your challenges and your weaknesses, and you will also be seeing so much growth and opportunity in yourself. And I think that is absolutely true. I don't think I would be the person I am. I don't mean the entrepreneur, but the person I am today without having this entrepreneurial journey, the highs and lows and everything in between. So I really do think the connection is that that demand for personal growth. If you want to see your business grow, it starts with you, and I really do believe that.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have come to believe that one of the most powerful and most effective mechanisms for personal growth is a path of entrepreneurship. And By the way, I don't think either of us are also making the argument that this path is right for everyone. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But if you say yes to it, it is something that has brought me to my knees Mm. more times than I can remember, literally physically shaking and in tears, not knowing what's going to happen the next day. It has given me some of the highest highs of my life. And it has really invited me to just continually, every single day, ask why I'm in it, what's driving me. And if you don't grow as a human being and through this process, I don't know if you can actually sustain yourself in it. What's your take on that?
0: You know, I'm glad you said that. And what I was going to add right when you said that was, I don't even know if it'd be worth it. Like this is hard stuff. And like, when you say brought me to my knees in tears, oh, I've had many, many of those moments. And so if you're not growing personally through your entrepreneurial journey, one, I agree. I don't think you could sustain it. I don't think long-term you are actually going to have a thriving business down the road because you won't want to, you'll want to just say, let me go back to a nine to five job. Let me go get a boss and let me have a different kind of life because it won't even be worth it to you. But also. I really don't think one can exist without the other that personal growth and entrepreneurship so that's how I look at it
1: yeah no I agree and it's interesting because I think when a lot of people think about you know the vision of what an entrepreneur is and sort of like the mindset you know it's somebody who's hard charging ego driven has conviction that will never end and yet my experience of people that have actually lasted over years sometimes decades generations is humility is absolutely oh. the thing that is really central, not just fierce ego and conviction.
0: Absolutely. You know, you and I were recently in a retreat where we got to see some amazing entrepreneurs, I mean, full of greatness. And what I witnessed in many of them is vulnerability and humility. You're absolutely right. I mean, they were at the forefront and I've got to tell you, I've been around for 14 years now. And in the beginning, I didn't see that anywhere. I don't know why. Maybe I wasn't hmm. in the right circles. I wasn't surrounding myself with the right people, but I saw a lot of ego. I saw a lot of Ferraris with guys standing in front saying you can make money while you sleep. And here's how to get rich kind of thing. That's when when I came into the industry, that's what it looked like. However, You're right that I didn't know people who had been in it for a long time. And those that have stood the test of time, they're very humble. They are very grounded and they actually don't lead with here's how much money I make or here's everything I've done, but more so like here's all the challenges I've had. Here's the areas that I've really struggled. This is what it's looked like behind the scenes. And that has helped me immensely. Like I am so grateful for those that will share that, which is why I do now as well. But I really do think you're onto something. Those who have been around for a long time and have true success, they are so very humble and very vulnerable.
1: And that doesn't mean that you can't also have a really strong vision. Oh, yeah. You know, it just means that you have to have a strong vision and simultaneously and weirdly hold it lightly because you could be proven utterly wrong along the way. And yeah. if that happens, you kind of have to be willing to say, oh, yeah, like <laughs> I completely missed this. But now, thankfully, I'm seeing what might work better. So let me shift and let me let go of what I thought was right. So you described this, this scenario, sort of like this state of the entrepreneurial um, world, especially in the online world, 14 or so years ago when you made this shift. Let's take a little bit of a step back in time. I want to talk about the transition for you. Share what you were up to, what your sort of professional life looked like in the before. And then what happened that made you say, you know what, maybe work a nine to five, which rarely is nine to five anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's actually not the only or even the right path for me.
0: So what it looked like for me is ever since college, I've always had a nine to five job. I've always had a boss. And I tease that I was a really good employee. Like I liked the regular paycheck, paid vacations, benefits, I liked having a boss because that meant I knew where I was going and what was expected of me. Then I liked to do it better and get the awards and the promotions. Like I was good in that environment and I did it for so very long, climb that corporate ladder. And in my last nine to five job, I found myself working for Tony Robbins for about six and a half years. I was the director of content development and I had a good job. I got to travel the world, London, Philippines, the UK, and also all around the US. I mean, it was a beautiful job. I got paid well, treated well, it worked. But what happened was I had just gotten married, and I worked a lot of hours, and I was traveling a lot, and I rarely saw my husband. And around that time, I was called into a meeting to take notes, very humbling. I was called into a meeting to take notes at a side table, but at the main table, Tony had brought in some business owners, online business owners that were thriving in their businesses. They all had courses, masterminds, memberships, products, and they were all men at the time. There were no women at the table. And Tony said, tell me about your businesses. He was curious about how they were running businesses online. So they each went around and they were in different industries. So relationship building, investing, real estate, so many different industries but they all had one thing in common because as they went around at the table to talk about their businesses, they talked about freedom. They talked about the time they spent with their families, the vacations they took. They talked about calling the shots, being creative, creating new things from scratch, and the fact that they were their own bosses. And I took the worst notes of my life that day because I put my pen down and I looked around and thought, are these aliens? Like, What world are they living in? I don't even understand what they're talking about. I didn't know about all of that world. And I sure as heck didn't know these guys. Now I know that they were very famous in their industry, but I didn't know them at the time. All I knew is that they had a life I didn't have. And I wanted for the first time I wanted that. I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't part of my vocabulary. And I always thought I would work for someone else. But in that minute or in that moment, I thought, I am not free. I never have been. I want that kind of freedom. So everything changed in a split second in that meeting. And for the next year, I started to work on becoming my own boss. So it took me a good year to ramp up and build a runway to actually leave. But when I did, it's been now 14 years of running my own business. Lots of highs and lows, but it was about a year after that fateful meeting.
1: Leading up to that, and even if we go even further back in time, what were your models or w- w- you know, what was the family culture for you around the quote appropriate or acceptable or like this is how you step into the way that you earn a living in the world?
0: My dad was a firefighter. My mom was a stay at home mom, most of my childhood, and then became a hairstylist. So they were blue collar to the bone. And it was just me and my sister. She's two years older. And here's, what's interesting. My dad always had a boss being in the fire department. However, when we were really little, I remember it like it was yesterday. I must've been five or six years old, but he did it a lot since then. We'd be playing Barbies on the floor and he would come in the room and out of nowhere, he'd say, girls, find a way to be your own boss when you grow up, find a way to be your own boss. Now, I didn't even think twice about it. We were like, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever. We're playing Barbies. We just kind of went on to our own thing. But as I got older and became my own boss, I thought, oh my goodness, my dad has been saying this since I was really young. He didn't really elaborate. He didn't really talk about why, but I actually since have asked him, like, why did you tell us that when we were really little? And he said, I never was my own boss. And I always knew I was tied to somebody else's direction and dream and what they wanted. you know. And I've always been had bosses directing me what to do. And he said, I knew that freedom was found in being your own boss. I knew that even though I didn't have it. And having two little girls, I thought if you could have it, you'd have a different life than me. And so that is something that he always said. But again, I never thought of entrepreneurship. I never thought of building my own business. But I love that I had a dad that kept reminding me to do so.
1: It's interesting also to me that, because I've had this conversation with, with so many different people and I'm, I'm always really sort of like curious what an early life family culture is around how you are going to quote, earn your living or like what you're going to do, you know, like when you grow up. And it's interesting to me that you had somebody who was an authority figure in your life, in your family and telling you to do one thing, but then doing another. Yeah, I've talked to a bunch of people. It creates oftentimes it creates like this cognitive dissonance. It's like, well, they're saying do this, and that's the aspiration, and yet I see this person who I respect who's waking up every day and doing the exact opposite. So how do I reconcile
2: that?
0: And for me, I think I I kind of didn't pay attention to it. Like I just Mm. paid attention to what my dad was doing. His actions were louder than his words. So he was really responsible. Like you said, went into work every single day. He had these really weird mottos that I don't think served me well. But if you're on time, you're late. And he had a really weird one that this is, I hate to even admit it. He would tell me if you are doing work that you do not like hard work um, in his case, like sweaty work and getting in there, if you're doing work, that's not very enjoyable, but you're doing it well, that is hard work. And so I only thought if I don't like it, but I'm really in it and doing it, that I'm a hard worker. So I took jobs I didn't like, I did stuff I didn't want to do, but look at me, I'm a hard worker. So working hard was a badge of honor for me. I liked when people were really proud of me. The problem was growing up, I always would seek my dad's validation, like to the core. And I didn't get it a lot. It wasn't always good enough for him. And so when he was a hard man to love, and so I didn't get his validation as much as I wanted. So then when I went into the work world, I would look for validation from my bosses, which tended to be male. So I was always looking for that male validation. I did it with all of my bosses. And so it was a tricky thing going out on my own and being my own boss and looking around and saying like, who's going to validate me now? Who's going to tell me I'm doing a good job? Who's watching? Now, of course, my audience was watching, but at the time I didn't have an audience. I was very new. I was very alone. It was a very lonely journey in the beginning. And I, I had to learn to validate myself, but that took a while.
1: Part of it is actually the mechanics of, you know, like, how do I actually do this thing of going out on my own after I've literally been brought up sort of like believing one thing and then earned, you know, like built a career doing one thing, yeah. kind of following that path. It's not just the mechanics though. It's also a shift in values. It's really, I mean, was there sort of this, this thing that went in your mind that said, I need to actually change the way that I understand what work is and, and what success is in life?
0: Yes, but I didn't know that in the beginning. I just kind of went out with what I knew and then it it didn't work. Like I really struggled. I struggled with self-worth. I struggled with what happens when I don't know what to do, who am I supposed to turn to? I just was very confused in the beginning going out on my own. But when it was tough, the first two years were the toughest. At the end of the second year, I thought, I can't keep going like this. This isn't working. Mm -hmm. This is not the success I want. Like I literally thought, if this is what entrepreneurship is, give me my job back. I'll go grovel back for that job. I was working way more hours than I was at my corporate job. And where did the dream of sitting on a beach with a Mai Tai, with a laptop in your lap, where was that? It was not in my reality, but that's the dream I was sold before I left my nine to five job. So I had to reevaluate. And one thing that I, I started to do is I started to say that I'm going to allow myself to mess up every step of the way. And I had many mess ups. My first launch, I made $267 when I thought I'd make $100,000. So after that first big mess up failure, I thought, oh, there's going to be a lot more to come. Let's see how fast I can get back up. So allowing myself to make those mistakes and getting back up faster and more efficiently each time really did start to give me the confidence because that was one thing in in a nine to five job. You don't have a lot of leeway to mess up and crash and burn. You get a few chances and then you're out where I started to kind of change that for myself as well because I was just so scared to make any decision. And so I wasn't making any decisions. So that was one of the first shifts that I made early on.
1: I mean, also, if you're talking about, like, as you described, you're sitting in that room when the light bulb goes on and everyone's talking about freedom, your association with work up until that point had been largely driven by validation. Mm -hmm. And then you step into the world of entrepreneurship thinking, okay, it's freedom time. And then for the first couple of years, you experience anything but freedom. I mean, I'm so curious, especially about the, the early years of this, because your experience is not unique. Right, You know, in the early days of anything, even the most successful companies and founders in the world, almost nearly invariably, the early days are brutal and freedom and success and money and control. Those things do not exist in the early days. How did you continue to show up day after day after day after day?
0: I love this question because it's a very specific answer. Before I left my nine-to-five job, I got very clear on why I wanted to be my own boss. My why was my North Star. It was everything. Now, back in the day, it was very selfish. My why was very selfish. It's very different today. Back in the day when I didn't have an audience, I didn't have a product, I was really making it up as I went, my why was I didn't want to be told what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. That's the freedom. I just didn't want a boss anymore. Seems so very simple, but very powerful for me because it was something I had never experienced before. And so when I went out on my own and for the first time in my life, I didn't have a boss. Not only was it scary and confusing, but it was very truly what I wanted. So when I would crash and burn, that first time where I had the failed launch, it was like a week of crying and not getting dressed in the morning and kind of moping around till my husband had to say like, this isn't going to work. Like you have to get it together. And I told him, what if I'm not cut out to do this? What if it didn't work? And he said, listen, you can go back for your job, but why did you do this in the first place? He was my accountability partner. He took me back. So one thing I want to say is we have to find just a you people that we know will keep us moving forward. Don't try to do this alone. In my book, I talk about the fact that not everybody deserves to hear your dream, especially when it's not realized yet. So let's say you're in your nine to five job and you think, you know what? Six months from now, I'm going out and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to start my own business. That's not when you turn around to everyone in the office and say, Hey, everyone, I'm doing it. I'm going to be my own boss. Because the problem is, most people are not going to support such a dramatic shift in, in your path. Basically Sarah Blakely of Spanx. She once said that when she cut the feet out of her pantyhose and built the first prototype for Spanx, she hardly told anybody because if she told somebody what she wanted to do and they told her all the reasons it wouldn't work, she would have absolutely believed them. And I feel that that was true to me as well. So in the beginning, I told very few people what I was going to do. I surrounded myself with a few people that would keep me accountable, and I kept my eye on the why why was this important to me? And when the days when my worries would knock me down, my whys would pick me up
1: yeah, and I think that's so important, like what you're describing is sort of like a a double hit of purpose and accountability, right? like yeah. you wake up in the morning and so when adversity drops into your path and it will on a regular basis you understand why you keep showing up. And I feel like that is such a missing piece for so many people. Yeah, But also I don't want to gloss past what you just shared about accountability. Yes, accountability matters. Like We want to have people that, that buy into the vision, but the more nuanced take that you shared is like make sure it's the right people. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I kind of learned that lesson the hard way as well. And I think the bigger your dreams, the more out there they are, the more disruptive they are to sort of like the fabric or the existing paradigm or the way things have always been done or the way all of your friends or your peers, your family have made their choices, the more that challenges it, the more people around you are going to feel defensive about their own choices, not yes. to challenge it. And yes. that can cause so much friction. I'm wondering, like, did you experience that?
0: Absolutely. So when I got closer to actually leaving I started to post online. I had a little side hustle going. So I was a little bit more visible. So people were noticing and they would say like, what are you doing? And I would tell them I'm going to go out on my own eventually. And they would say, why don't you just do both? You have this little side hustle. Why do you need to go all the way out on your own? It freaked out my dad, the man who kept telling me to go out on my own when I told, but I had a big cushy job. So golden handcuffs are a real thing. I actually had a great job. It paid me well. I did well, but there was something really missing. So when I told my dad, I'm going to go out on my own, I'm going to start my own business. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why can't you just do both? Are you sure you want to leave something behind that is so good? Even the man who told me to do it. So I did get it a lot. And what I finally figured out is I stopped talking so much. I didn't explain myself and go on and on about what I was doing, why I was doing it. I kept it to a few short sentences. I've got a plan to go out on my own. I put together this this plan that's going to get me through my first year. I've got to give this a shot. I don't want a boss. Done. And if they didn't agree with it, they didn't agree with it. But I found myself, if I went down a rabbit hole explaining all these things, there was no point to it. So I kept
1: it brief. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.
3: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all.
1: This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further, to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Adam Grant, a couple of years back, introduced me to this concept of a different type of person to join you along the way that he calls challengers. Mm. When Adam is writing a book, for example, he brings together a group of his you know, grad students or postdoc students in lab. And he starts to feed them pieces of the book, ideas, snippets, chapters, pages beforehand. And he basically says to them, have at it, like, take me down, like challenge every idea, every assumption, everything that I say, go and actually like, I want to hear this now because once it's in book form, it's kind of out there in the world. So I want to know everything that is possibly Not right, that where I'm off base as soon as I can, so that I can make the adjustments that I can either say that was completely not right. That's actually, I need, we need to just cut that or leave it alone. Or I need to change the way I'm thinking about it, or I need to rewrite it. I need to zag, you know, this way when I was zigging this way. I have tried to assemble small groups of people like that in the context of building companies. And over the years, I do have a few of those people, but it's taken way longer to find folks who will say yes to that and yes to that from a benevolent, constructive, supportive way. But also I found it like stunningly valuable because it pre-humbles you. Rather than being humbled by the market when you're like completely wrong, you get to actually go through those iterations long before you still make them be completely wrong when you try and bring somebody to the market. But I'm wondering whether you've explored bringing people into your orbit to play more of that role.
0: You know, I love this concept of the challenger and I have a really good friend in the industry where I would say she's absolutely that for me and I'm a very sensitive girl. And so pretty much every time she does it, it stings. Like I have to take a moment. She'll even say like, was that too much? because she just calls me out on the things that I'm doing that are not congruent with who I am or out of alignment or strategies that I'm kind of putting together quickly and not really researching or whatever it might be. And at first I hate it. I just think, Ooh, that hurts. And maybe I don't want to hear that. And then I let it sink in and it's, always proven to help me to be valuable, to move me in a new direction or move me forward. So it's absolutely necessary. But one thing I want to point out, you know, we were talking a little bit about the context of you wanting to leave something behind and other people telling you the reasons why you shouldn't. I do believe if you get an accountability partner, you have to consider the source. If it's Mm. someone who has never, ever started anything before, and they're telling you all the reasons you shouldn't do it, That is not a valid accountability partner, in my opinion. So you really touched on something important where you want to seek feedback and insight and truth from people that have done what you are trying to do. I believe that's the only way to do it. And so, my friend who gives me a lot of feedback, she's in it. She's running her business. She's experiencing all the things I'm experiencing. To me, that's important. But also, my husband. So, Hobie, my husband, has never started a business like this. He is actually retired now. He's not in it, but he knows me. He can keep me accountable to my values and my integrity and what I said I was going to do. So, there's different types of challengers, but always just make sure that if you're asking for feedback, insight, or open to it, that they've actually done the things or know you well enough to give that really truthful insight.
1: So important to find people who are coming from the right, both level of experience and ethos. Yes. In terms of like, it's not, I'm not trying to dissuade you from doing this. I'm trying to hold you accountable to why you said it was so important yes. and help you refine ideas and process to help. Like So hopefully it increases the likelihood, the probability that you'll succeed in what you're doing. Um, it's so true. And that's not everybody. And I think we've all been in conversation with people who are the exact opposite. You know, Freud is real. Yeah,
0: it's so very true. And you made me think of one more thing. I've actually gotten the feedback for free from friends and peers. I also, since day one, have paid for it. Hmm. And I think that is valid as well. Before I left my last corporate job, I paid to be in a $17,000 mastermind. I didn't have $17,000. I had to do the payment plan. But I paid to be in a group of women that were doing what I wanted to do. And I paid that the leader of that company, when I got to have uh, one-on-ones with her, would tell me the truth of where I'm missing the mark or getting off track. So if you don't have the people around you that you feel you can trust to tell you the truth and, and point out all the challenges, mistakes, and holes, if you have the means to do so, pay for a coach, pay for a guide. Even to this day, 14 years in, I still pay for a coach. So I'm all about finding it in a few different ways.
1: Yeah. And for those where it's still beyond your means, I think Mm -hmm. also I found that people are often really unaware of so many extraordinary resources that are available. I mean, if you're going old school, traditional business model, you can go to the local small business association or SCORE where you have a lot of like people who are older in life, uh, further down the road, often they're retired. And they're doing it just because they really want to help. They see young people coming up and, and they've got a lot of lived wisdom to share. And I feel like there. Is, sometimes we don't realize how many resources truly are available to us when we just really start to tap in and search for them a little bit more intentionally.
0: Absolutely. I love that you brought that up. Yeah. You definitely can find free resources, especially in the beginning when most of us don't have any money to put toward it.
1: Yeah. So you make this decision. We're having this conversation, as you said, about 14 years or so after that, over that window of time, you have built an extraordinary business um, in the online educational world around business around and and offering a lot of different products and services. Um, It's evolved over time. You've allowed yourself, your business, your offerings to evolve. As we have this conversation, we're in a really interesting moment in culture, in the economy, in society you know, we've just been through a couple of years that took us from profound isolation and a global pandemic to then people completely reimagining the way they work. Like work got shut down entirely. Then all of a sudden it comes back, but we're all in our homes, you know, working on janky wifi and apps and everything's caught up and there's progress. And then people start to realize, well, you know, actually I kind of like not commuting and they start to realize that there are a whole bunch of values that weren't being met. And then we see the great resignation, like mass, mass resignations. But then we also see the great regret. And then we see quiet quitting. And then we see boomerangs. And then we see remote hybrid blends. And then we see CEOs calling everyone back to the office, you must be here. And then we say them saying, oh, kidding, when nobody actually is coming back.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So we're in this really kind of strange moment. But we're also in a moment with great economic uncertainty, especially as we have this conversation in the beginning of a year where a lot of people are sort of like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. How does stepping into entrepreneurship fit into the state of the world right now? Mm,
0: Such a good question. When I look at a lot of my students who have made the transition from nine to five into entrepreneurship, I think about their stories and how it fits into kind of what Is happening in the world. So a lot of the people that will make that transition from nine to five to entrepreneurship, if they're listening now, they've thought about it for a long time and they haven't really done anything about it, but it's always in the back of their mind. I'm thinking of one of my students, Carol, who she's thought about being an entrepreneur for years and years. She was in a marketing department in a nine to five job. And for years and years, she thought about it, but she's too afraid to take the leap. What would people say? What would this look like for her? So she didn't do it. And then one day she woke up and she was laid off and the decision was made for her. And so she looked around and thought, oh my gosh, all these years I thought about doing my own thing. I never started anything and now I'm scrambling and I don't know what to do. And I believe that we can help so many people never be in that situation. I mean, you hit it on the head when you said, not only was it the great resignation, but I think ambitions changed during COVID, during all of that. People started, like you said, changing their values, but their ambition started to change. It's not like they weren't ambitious anymore, but they started to be ambitious for other things that meant something to them, their families, their private life, their hobbies, all of that. And so my point being is that I think we this great awakening of what do we want, how do we want it has shown a huge light, and now we get to decide, are we going to get back into the workforce? Are we going to get back to what we were doing before? Or is there another way? And I think the pandemic and everything we've seen in even the climate right now, people are starting to think, maybe it's time for that other way. Maybe finally, I'm going to take the leap. And I really do see that happening over and over again. And so I think this is a great awakening for many people to say, maybe it's time for me to explore another way. You know, 1.4 million women left the workforce during the pandemic. They left to be home with their babies. They didn't have childcare anymore. They had to be more present at home. And now what we're seeing is they're looking around thinking, okay, do I go back to work because uh, my family needs the money? Or do I start my own thing? And that we're seeing a lot more of it. I'm so excited about it. So my point being is the only other, the option is not just let's get back to it. Thank God that's not what people are doing. They're really evaluating how do I want to get back to it? And I'm hoping many, many more entrepreneurs are born during this time.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to see. And it's gonna be really interesting to see how many people dip their toe in the water of entrepreneurship. And then just kind of like say to themselves, ooh, this is not what I thought it was. They start to experience that first two years that Mm -hmm. you were describing that so many entrepreneurs described and then kind of backpedal rather than saying, well, maybe this is actually still right and still good. But I had a little bit of, I bought into the mythology of just instant yay rather than really going deep and understanding what I'm really saying yes to in this moment. We actually just did a little bit of research and we were asking people to share at this moment in time, sort of like, what is your dream? What's your career dream right now? And is it to start your own thing? Is it to um, find a new job somewhere else? Is it to stay where you are and keep the security, but reimagine how it's making you feel and a couple of other things and starting your own thing was the winner.
0: I was hoping you'd say that, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah.
1: So here's the interesting thing we did that same research in the very beginning of the pandemic. Oh. And finding a new job was the thing. Oh. So there's something that's happened over the last yes. few years that shifted people into saying maybe that's not like the answer. Like maybe actually the biggest risk is surrendering more control and letting other people make decisions or have more input over my ability to support myself and do work that makes me come alive.
0: It's so true because giving up more control, my sister is a second grade teacher. She's 2 years older than me. She still lives in the home uh the town we grew up in. She's married to a firefighter and she's a school teacher and had some of the worst years of her life in 2020 and 2021. It broke my heart seeing her go through that and many other teachers of course. And she got to the point that she's like, is this really worth it? She never thought about being an entrepreneur, nor do I think she ever will be. But there was a resentment she felt because come into the classroom. No, now do Mm -hmm. it on Zoom. Now do a hybrid. Now stay home for a while. Now do this. And she's like, what do you want from me? And I think she felt like she had no control over her life. Now, what makes me sad is she also never wants to be an entrepreneur. I can't talk her into it, but I think a lot of other people, I have tons of teachers who read my book and want to change their lives and do their own thing, but I think a lot of people are different than my sister that they had that experience where they were kind of jerked around and not knowing what the heck they're supposed to do and said, enough is enough. I've thought about doing my own thing. I've had enough pain. Now it's time to explore it my personality is like this, that unfortunately I have to have enough pain to make a really big change. I wish that wasn't me, but it is. And I think that's what happened. People had enough. So I, I feel so excited that your survey has shown a shift in where people's minds are.
1: Yeah. It is really interesting to see in just a couple of years, like a, a, a meaningful change. i um, and that balance between moving towards something, like aspiring towards something and moving away from something, feeling a level of pain that like becomes so present and so great that you can no longer bear that being your, you know, your daily condition. It is such an interesting dance.
3: And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: So, as you've referenced, after 14 or so years of building business and training, Tens of thousands of people, you decide to write a book, yeah. which effectively says, it's not just here's what I did, it's here are the systems and processes and questions that are really key at every step along the way. And what was inter- really interesting about the book to me, it's very granular and very tactical. We see a lot being offered that sort of big picture. Um, here are the things to think about. We don't see a lot that's basically literally step by step. When you're thinking about leaving your job, like here are the, the exact things to think about, the questions to think about. When it comes time on that fateful day, when you've decided like the name of the book, two weeks notice, to give your two weeks notice, here's what to do. Like here's how to do it. Here are the things to think about. Then what do you do next and next and next and next and next? So you made clearly a really intentional choice to create a very, not just strategic, but tactical. Book and Mm -hmm. I'm curious about that decision.
0: So I'm the kind of girl that if I want to do something new and I look around and I and I read the books and start learning, I always am saying, okay, but what exactly do I do? Please give me my first step. Show me the roadmap. And the big picture is valuable. I'd like to have a good understanding, 30-foot level kind of thing. But when I need to get down to work, I really look for that roadmap. And 14 years ago, when I went out on my own, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was very confused and overwhelmed and almost gave up. So when I wrote this book, I thought, I'm not letting them give up. I'm not letting them get stuck. Let me just walk them through step-by-step. And I built my business doing that as well. Like I teach step-by-step-by-step. I teach list building, digital course creation. I always say no stone left unturned. And the reason for that is it is very easy to think that you are not capable when you haven't learned this. We don't learn this entrepreneurial journey in school. My son is in college now, and there's actually classes around it. 14, 15, 16 years ago, I didn't find anything in school where I could learn this. And so I wanted to give somebody a roadmap so that there's no excuses, this is what you do. And it feels good to have a virtual handhold when you're doing something very new and scary. So I just wrote the book that I wish I had.
1: Yeah, and also like as, as I've come to learn about you over the years, you're very process-driven. Very. Which is something, which is yeah. something that I envy because I am so not process-driven. Yeah, well,
0: that's because you have every ounce of creativity I do not have. <laughs> I would not say I'm a creative being at all.
1: I don't know about that, but I am just, I'm so thankful to have people that I work with and on our team who are just like really fantastic at Amen. process because it is not my thing, but it is for sure your thing. And as I'm reading through all the different steps, it was interesting for me also because I've had my version of this journey. You know, when I read through a chapter, you know, you call it unbossing, literally how to give your notice, like a step-by-step guide. And I'm remembering all the way back, which for me, the last time I actually worked for somebody else in a sort of like a full-time capacity, I was a lawyer and it was the late nineties. And literally I had flashbacks as you're walking through and you're like, choose your quit day and then build your runway. And I'm remembering to myself, I'm like, okay, I knew that my next step was very likely going to be leaving a powerful job in one of the biggest law firms in the world, making a very nice living to making 12 bucks an hour learning an entirely new industry, wearing tights and t-shirts all day long. And I knew that I was going to take a hit both to my ego and to my bank account. And it was, it could take me a, a solid year to learn this new industry and figure out how to build a better mousetrap. That was a fitness industry, by the way.
0: Tights and t-shirts. I, I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. What are you talking about? This now is a whole past about? life. <laughs> I forgot. Yes.
1: Yeah. I have a whole bunch of different past lives, but, um, you know, so when you're sort of like saying, like, build your runway, it's so simple, but like so ma- I feel like so many people don't do it. We feel like we hit a point of pain where we're just like, that's it, I'm out. And I hit that. I literally was hospitalized in that oh. job. I, I was in emergency surgery. I came back and I basically said to myself, I am not willing at that point in my life. I was not willing to live hand to mouth anymore. So I said, how can I move through this job, make it as peaceful as I can and save and bank literally every dollar that I can possibly bank for as long as I can until I feel like I just need to actually make the move. Because I knew that the next move for me, it was probably going to be a chunk of time before I'd be able to support myself. And I needed that financial runway to be able to do it. So as I'm reading through these like very granular things, I'm remembering, oh yeah, I did this. And then I'm reading things and I'm like, oh, I completely didn't do that. And it would have been so much easier (laughs) had I done it.
0: Yeah. I included some things that I didn't do. Yes.
1: (laughs) For sure, it's so nice to actually like have like a a legitimate, almost like a checklist of things to really think about. And part of it also made me think: knowing what was involved in in quote doing it right or being intelligent and intentional about it, it wouldn't have stopped me from making the move. But it probably would have made me do it a little bit differently, and also wait a little bit longer, take more time, Mm. give myself a little bit more grace. So it's interesting to, to have a bit of a roadmap in hindsight that I think for anyone who's like at that moment right now, and you're thinking about it, just might really help you understand time frame differently.
0: Yes. I love that you talk about that because what you don't want to do and what happens a lot, and some people might relate to this, is that you wake up one morning and you're like, no more, I cannot do this. I have to give notice. Screw it. I'm just going for it. And when you do that, you literally, your whole world is rocked. You do not have a plan and you win with a plan. And so when I wrote the book, I looked back at my experience. I had a whole year from the time that that meeting happened that I realized I want freedom to the time that I drove out of that San Diego office in my little white car with the sun setting and the Beatles on the radio playing, here comes the sun, which I thought was a sign as I'm driving out. I knew what where I was going and I felt really good about my transition. I left with not burning any bridges. I'm still friends with many of the people I worked with and I did exactly what you said. I looked at my finances and this is one thing I teach in the book. Let's get really clear on your finances. Let's figure out how much you really need to make month by month and let's say the next year. Because your first year of entrepreneurship You're not also remodeling your house, buying a new car, going on vacations. You are literally sacrificing to make sure that any money you make, hopefully you can put back in the business after you pay your bills. And so get really clear on your finances. And maybe you don't even need to make as much as you're making in your nine to five job right now because you're going to really buckle up. I say give yourself as much grace as you can that first year, as much wiggle room with the money. The other thing is that, get really clear on what you want to do. So in the time Mm -hmm. from when you want to leave to when you do leave, maybe that's the time you start the side hustle. Maybe you start doing research. I started reading books, listening to podcasts, buying my first digital course ever when I was still at my nine to five job to learn video marketing because it's something I didn't know a lot about. So I started to educate myself nights, weekends, in the morning, that kind of thing. So when I left, I had a whole arsenal of new knowledge I didn't have a year earlier. And then of course, choosing your exit date. That's something that most people kind of don't do very early on where I set an exit date of six months. Once I knew, okay, I'm going to do this. It was six months from the day I decide it was a year from the day I decided, but six months when I decided I better get a date or I'm never going to leave. Mm. So I put a date on a post-it note, put it on a mirror where I saw it every day. And I asked this question, What do I need to do today to move me closer to that date? Because I'm doing it. The only way to have self-confidence is if you keep the promises to yourself. This is one of my very first big promises. So that meant maybe I need to make a call. Maybe I need to listen to that podcast, read that book. What do I need to do today to move me closer to that date? And that is exactly how I built my runway.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And for me, it sounds like time worked for you. For me, it was actually a number. Like I was like, when I have X dollars in the bank, Like, I know that I'll be able to support myself in New York City for a certain amount of time, knowing my rent and my fixed costs. I know I was going to live kind of lean during that time also. Yes. And I was willing to do that for that amount of time.
0: How long did it take you?
1: It took me about nine months.
0: I love that. I always say three to 12 months. Anything over 12 months, I feel like you're getting into fear and excuses and you might not do it. So three to 12 months is like the sweet spot.
1: Yeah. And it took right in the middle of that. and um. And I also knew that once I made the decision, then I had, I actually had, you know, like I saved up enough money. So I calculated, I had then nine months of runway. So I basically had nine months to then figure it out,
3: you know,
1: so that I had to start making money so that I could support myself. But like you said, also, I was starting to run the experiments and do the research during that first nine months where I was saving up and creating my runway. There's this mythology in entrepreneurship that, you know, if you want to actually build something big and successful, that you've got to make a hard break, you've got to be all in 100% from day one. There's actually research on this question, and what it shows is that many of the biggest most successful companies in the world were actually started by one or more co-founders who slowly legged their way into it and kept their old job for as long as humanly possible, running the experiments, figuring out what worked and what didn't work and what worked for them and what didn't work for them in their lives and what they wanted. And only when they literally, it was no longer tenable to keep both of those things going at once, they finally were forced to make a decision and go all into that thing. But the mythology is that you can't do that. That the only way to be successful is to make a hard break immediately, go all in. But for a lot of people, that's just not realistic for their lifestyles, for their circumstance, for the people that they may be supporting. You know, yeah. So I think it's good to sort of Understand that there are different ways to to step into this, and you've got to honor the life that you're living now too. Oh,
0: I love that you have to honor the life that you're living. That idea of like throwing your hands up and saying, "I'm just going all in, let's go," I think it's too disruptive, and I don't think it's necessary. And it happens and it works for some people, but the majority, I think, their story is a little bit more like ours.
1: One of the other things that you that, that you talk about, especially in the early days too, is this notion of when you're starting to build this thing. It has the potential to take over your life, yes. not just the hours, but your, your mind share, your heart share, your cognitive share, your create, like everything. You really focus on, on non-negotiables and boundaries, which yes. for many years didn't exist for me. Same. <laughs> and That was a later in life entrepreneurial thing where I'm like, yeah, this is not sustainable. The notion of actually honoring that from the very get-go, getting really clear, I think is so important, but it's not uh. talked about all that much.
0: Yes. It's not something I did earlier either. Sometimes in the book, I'll tell a story of where I really messed up and what I would do different. And this is one of them. So in my first two years, I worked my life away to the point that my husband had to say like, I never see you anymore. You are obsessed with this. You are working every minute of the day. This isn't going to be sustainable for our marriage. And that was a shock to me because my marriage is everything. So I did it wrong the first two years. I bought into hustle mentality. I bought into my dad's motto of if I'm not enjoying the work, but I'm, I'm doing it, I'm working hard, all of that. And then I totally reached burnout. But after the first two years, I thought, is this even worth it? I do not like what I've created or what I'm doing. And so I had to reevaluate all of that. And that's when I started to learn about non-negotiables, which I outline in the book and give a lot of ideas. But I wish on day one, I know it sounds like most people won't do this, but this is what I wish I did. Day one of being an entrepreneur, I set some boundaries. I set some non-negotiables where I really protected my mental health and physical health. I didn't realize that so much of entrepreneurship, when you want to be successful, it starts with your mental health and your physical health. I actually threw both of those out the door and just got to work. And then I came up for air and I was like a shell of a person. And so I wish I said a non-negotiable that I don't work weekends it's just not going to happen. I need to recharge. I need to be with my husband and and son. I don't work weekends. That was not my truth, but I think it could have been very possible. Also like 14 years later, I run a four day work week with my team. So we work Monday through Thursday, 9am to 5pm. And I believe I could have done that years and years ago, Mm. but I was so afraid that I would be left behind, that I wouldn't get the work done, that I would become irrelevant because I'm not in it every single minute kind of thing. And so this the point being is you can set non-negotiables around your work time, how you show up, what you do early on, and then they're going to stick throughout. And you'll be a better leader. When people start to come into your team and see that you actually respect your personal time, they will do the same. And when your employees respect their personal time and have the time off, they show up better in your business. So huge mistake I made early on.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's even that last point you made, I think is so important, especially right now, right? Because we're in this moment where culture is shifting in companies expectations, as we talked about earlier, they're shifting in a really big way and people want something different. Actually, they don't want something different. They've always known that this is what they want, but they've never thought that it was really something that was on the table. I think a lot of us just kind of figure like, this is the way it is. So if you're building something as the founder, as the entrepreneur, and you're building a team, if you happen to build something where you have a team and there's a culture, the minute there's more than one person, there's a culture, right? That the choices that we make for ourselves, as a founder, those we set the tone, we model expectations for everybody else in our businesses and if we're making those choices and it's burning us out, you can be sure that if people follow our lead, it's going to burn them out and and <laughs> then we're like we're doing a disservice to everybody at the everyone. end of the day, and everybody's saying yes to this thing because they think they got have freedom and Purpose and all this stuff, and they end up just being completely gutted along the way.
0: You know, I'm glad you said that because I actually have had a little bit of guilt being in the industry for 14 years and teaching entrepreneurship and building businesses. I feel guilty that in the first probably five or six years of doing this, I definitely was an example of uh, hustling and I didn't know any other way. I didn't even talk about it because I thought this is how you do it. And so, so many of my students saw me hustle so hard that I know that that's what they did as well. So I made a commitment to kind of make up for my past wrongs to talk a lot about downtime, rest, four-day work weeks, anti-hustle mentality, and then showing people that I actually... Going to a four-day work week was partly me saying, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to actually do this thing and show that it could work. So yeah, I definitely... Hate that I used to teach from that hustle mentality,
1: but I think at the same time we all, you know, the only way we learn is by we do the thing, and then if it works, Ah. great, and if it doesn't, then we're like, okay, like I need to adjust course. And I think it's interesting to see somebody do that publicly. That's one of the things I think I, I really have admired about your journey is that you may not be transparent in real time, and I think sometimes it's not it's not appropriate it's not constructive to be fully transparent in real time about what we're going through but you you've been really transparent once you have enough distance between what you're going through so you can really process and understand it and learn from it and then you often turn around and share so it's not just about sharing the steps of building a company or a business or taking an idea and saying let's turn it into a thing you've been really transparent about sharing your own just personal evolution and like hey like this is a thing that i did and i now think very differently about it and here's how it affected me. And it really took a toll. And here's how I think about it now. And here's how I've changed my decisions and, and my process around it. Circles all the way back to the beginning of our conversation around humility, but being publicly humble yeah. in the context of this is a different thing. I think it's really important to see folks who are have a position, authority, and esteem owning that part of the process the way that you do, because it sets the expectation for everybody else that says like perfection is not the thing here. You know, like the best in the world stumble and then have to figure it out and change yes. course. And I can too.
0: It's so true. You know, I was reading one of my mentors' newsletters a couple months ago, and she shared that she had this moment where she thought she was washed up, mm. that she was a been. She's been around for a really long time. And she was at a party and it was a bunch of her industry peers. And she just felt like, Oh, maybe I I've been around too long. And she shared this. And then she shared how she came out of that funk and why it didn't serve her. But for her to say something that I've been around 14 years, I've definitely had those thoughts at times. I instantly kind of like let my shoulders relax and realized I'm human. I'm normal. My mentor also felt the same way and she overcame it. It gave me so much hope for, uh, the hard times that were to come. And I do believe all of us need to be more vulnerable and share this kind of stuff. Kind of if it feels like you don't want to share it because you're just like, Ooh, this is embarrassing or this doesn't put me in a good light that's the stuff that you need to share. At least for me, that's my kind of indicator like, "Ooh, you're on to something. Let's do this." So, I just wanted to share that it means a lot to me when those I look up to will share the kind of the behind the scenes, and I think we all should do more of that.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think it normalizes the reality of something that is really hard. But also if you stay in it and figure it out, just really genuinely rewarding. Yes. It makes it easier to feel like you understand what you're saying yes to. It. And also that as you stumble along and figure things out, you're not alone. And I think, especially after the last few years that so many of us have had where we feel profoundly isolated, knowing that we're not alone, the, the, you know the decisions we're making, and sometimes the decisions that people around us and closest to us don't understand and may not support it just makes the journey feel better. And maybe we'll stay in it long enough to really do some beautiful things.
0: Yes to that.
1: So, And that feels like a good place for us to start to come full circle as well. And before I ask my last question, which I always ask, and I know you know that, I am curious about one thing. At this point, why do you care so much? I mean, Mm. why do you care so much about people, especially focusing on women, Saying yes to this thing called entrepreneurship, like why do, just on a personal level, not for them, but you've devoted a lot of your life to this now. Why does it matter so much?
0: When I think about where I was 14 years ago, when I had hit a glass ceiling, when I didn't even know what it meant to be free to create and to build I realized I was plain small. I didn't know it at the time, but there was so much more to me, so much more that was possible. I care deeply still to this day, even more so than ever, because I know there's a girl in a cubicle, a woman in a cubicle right now, that she doesn't even know that there is a whole other life out there for her, one where she is designing her personal life and her business life. She doesn't even know. I did not even know it till those guys came into that meeting and started sharing it. So I feel like I'm on a mission to shine a light and say, hey, there's this opportunity out there for you that could change everything about who you are, what you stand for, how you show up in the world and the legacy that you leave. I just feel as though it's my job to make sure she knows this is an option, whether she takes it or not. You know, not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. That's a conversation for another day. But at least I want you to know it's there and you explore it and you decide for yourself because we need, I know I'm not just for women, but we do need more women stepping up, making more money, calling the shots, having a bigger voice. And that's why I do what I do.
2: Mm,
1: Love that. Which feels like a good place for us to come full circle. So in this container of good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up?
0: To be free, to do what you want, when you want, how you want it in a way that serves others, impacts others, but also really allows you to be your very best self. I recently heard a quote that it is never too late to become who you want to be. And I believe that's that's what it's all about right there, becoming exactly who you want to be. And to me, it starts with freedom.
1: Mm, thank you. Before you leave, if you love this episode safe bet, you will also love the conversation we had with Lisa Congdon about transitioning from full-time work to building a successful career in the arts. You'll find a link to Lisa's episode in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app. And if you you found this conversation interesting or inspiring or valuable and chances are you did since you're still listening here would you do me a personal favor a seven second favor and share it maybe on social or by text or by email even just with one person just copy the link from the app you're using and tell those you know those you love those you want to help navigate this thing called life a little better so we can all do it better together with more ease and more joy Tell them to listen, then even invite them to talk about what you've both discovered. Because when podcasts become conversations and conversations become action, that's how we all come alive together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project.